folks, welcome to episode 15 of the Herd Podcast, or Quinceanera, as it were. I'm David Shepard, the MLA for Edmonton City Center, proud new Democrat. And here we are in the month of January. The weather has finally turned. It's getting a little warmer outside, and folks are maybe feeling a little more hopeful. We're also, well, just over half a year through the UCP's first year in government. Now, of course, we recall that this government, when they ran, they ran on a credo of jobs, economy, pipeline. And so they've made a number of bold moves in terms of that policy and what they think is going to move Alberta forward in terms of creating jobs and improving our economy and getting that pipeline built. We've seen them uh, reduce the corporate tax in Alberta. Uh, well, at least pledged to do that. They've reduced it by 1%, uh, 2% now, actually, pardon me. There was 1% back in July, another percent as of January 1st. They're going to go down 2% more at a cost of about $4.7 billion in revenue. We're going to see where that leads us. So far, hasn't created any jobs. On the jobs front, Alberta has lost several tens of thousands of jobs since the UCP took office. So that challenge remains as well. And in terms of the economy, well, we've had some economic forecasts that we're looking out for the year. And unfortunately, as those have continued to be updated, the economic prospects for Alberta, according to some of the major banks and other major predictors of economic fortunes, is that things for Alberta are looking down. So these are concerning issues, and this is not something where I'm looking to dance on anybody's grave. I may not agree with some of the policies of this government, but I want to see our province do well. So it's certainly a concern to me when we see these factors that I know make a big difference in the lives of Albertans, coupled with some of the problems that we have with some of the UCP's cuts and everything going on. So today's show, we're going to talk about those three factors, jobs, economy, pipeline. So I've got the opportunity here today to talk with uh, with a couple of my caucus mates. I've got Shannon Phillips, who's our critic for finance, and so Treasury Board in finance, and of course, MLA for uh, Lethbridge West. So I'm going to talk with her a little bit about the economic forecasts that have, been, that have come out for Alberta. What's driving these issues? Where are the challenges coming from? What did our government try to do to put Alberta in a better position to weather some of the global economic, uh, ec- economic uh, streams and changes that happen, the currents? And then I'm also going to talk with Irfan Sabir, who is our MLA for Calgary McCall, and he's our official opposition critic for energy. So I talk with Irfan a bit about what's been happening on the energy file, the challenges we still face with getting our products out of Alberta, the capacity issue, uh, access to new markets, so that being the pipeline TMX, and the energy war room and some of the other factors that the government has been using to, in their view, try to improve things for the energy industry. So first up, my conversation with Shannon Phillips. Welcome, Shannon. Shannon is uh, MLA for uh, Lethbridge West and the uh, official opposition critic for finances. How are you doing, Shannon? I'm great, Dave. Excellent. So, Shannon, this government, they ran on three things. They ran on jobs, economy, and pipeline. So I'm going to talk with Irfan a bit about you know our critic on energy, about the jobs and pipeline part. I wanted to talk to you about economy. So we've seen a number of economic forecasts come out for the province of Alberta over the last little while. They are not looking good. 
No, everything's been downgraded. And in fact, you know, like for an important piece of context here is that the government was projecting in their budget documents that came out in what, late October, uh, a significantly higher economic growth than all of the big banks and the Bank of Canada and the Conference Board of Canada and ATB. So already they had the rose colored glasses on, but I mean, now, you know, they've upgraded the prescription into rose colored bifocals uh, (laughs) because, you know, it's just, it's completely uh, uh, overshoots every available forecast of how the economy is going to perform in 2020. And, you know, look, the big banks and others, they, you know, there's there's billions of dollars on the line for them getting this right. They have absolutely no incentive to get it wrong. Um, This government, on the other hand, has an incentive to paint a particular picture to tell a a fiscal fairy tale to Albertans. And that's exactly what they've done. Uh, During estimates debate, I asked the finance minister about this even months ago. I was like, look, all these other outfits are forecasting way lower economic growth than you are. Uh, you know, what happens if all the big banks uh, are right and you're wrong? And he had no answer for that other than, you know, we'll have to make more cuts. And clearly now that's what's going to have to happen. So let's back this up a little bit. Uh, not all of our listeners, I think probably a lot of them are economic nerds, I'm sure, and sort of check all the forecasts and charts, but a few don't. So let's back up a little bit. What is What makes up an economic forecast? So these are banks, others sort of saying, this is how we think things are going to go in a particular area in their economy. What are they looking at to make those predictions? They're looking at, at uh, in the short term, they'll be looking at like crown leases. They'll be looking at uh, uh, expected investments. They'll be looking at government spend within the uh, within the economy. Um, they'll be looking at housing starts, those kinds of, of, okay. of things, population and demographics as well. Uh, and any final investment decisions that have been made by big companies where they've said, you know, to their shareholders, yeah, it's a go. Okay. So they're looking at uh, sort of your standard demographic factors. Then they're looking at what is government policy and decisions, how is government spending, what is government cutting, and what kind of decisions are major industry making and businesses within that area, and from that sort of saying, hmm, here's where, how we kind of expect things to go. Yeah, I mean, and their quarterly forecasts also have in them things like uh, jobs projections, okay. housing starts, uh, some of them do. Uh, so it's kind of just a, a, a picture of the economy. And why do they do this? Well, they do it for their clients who right. are uh, uh, who are making uh, decisions, right, and and how to make investments in this and and other their provinces. Uh, and so they have, everybody has a stake in getting this right. right. The big banks do. Uh, the province, uh, this this government has a stake in, uh, uh, you know, having dressing up those numbers uh, uh, in order to tell a particular story to Albertans that is just, you know, completely false. So what, what are the factors driving this, Shannon? Why are we seeing these downgrades? Because yeah, a year ago, two years ago, things seemed to be looking up. Things were improving in terms of our economic forecast for the province. And since then, we've sort have seen that steady downgrade. What are the factors driving that? Well, we led the country in economic growth in 17, and I think we were second to BC in, in 18. Um, and then, you know, in 19, things started to soften. Why? Because we had some egress issues uh, with respect to... So people leaving the province. No, the oil oh. leaving the province. Okay, investment right? leaving the yeah. province. Yeah, okay. so market egress, right, okay. was the issue. Uh, and that's why we had to take the tough decision. And believe me, I was uh, no fan of it, but it was one of these, we have to. Uh, and, and and that was the uh, the decision to curtail uh, a production, right. right, across the board for all oil sands producers in a sort of equity way, yep. and then uh, the decision to uh, buy rail cars in order to get the stuff out uh, by rail. 
And and so, you know, neither of those decisions were uh, uh, exactly us breaking out the pom-poms, right. you know, and uh, throwing ourselves a parade. Uh, it was widely understood in industry, like sort of across the board, sure. you know, each different company had their own perspective on it, but it was sort of a widely appreciated that we were averting some very significant layoffs in Calgary so, by doing those two things. So one of those key challenges we've been facing in our energy industry in that we had too much product and not enough means to ship it out. That's right. To get it to market. That's why so, we need a pipeline. Right, exactly. So, but I mean, so that's been one of the drivers. That's still the case, though. We've seen some things move forward on that. So resolution of some of the Supreme Court cases and, you know, construction of the pipelines back on underway. But still, we, we're still, you know, holding back how much we're allowing to be produced. We're still under curtailment. So companies are sort of saying, hey, well, we're not interested in sticking around right yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, it's a modified curtailment now. I mean, and uh, the county cabinet has made some changes okay. uh, to it along the way, uh, for sure. And Enbridge has made some changes too around uh, uh, getting product to market, and that right. has helped. Uh, but we are seeing now a widening of that differential again. Uh, right. And that, that's, that's that is- That's the difference between the world price and the price we can get. WTI, yeah. right? The West yeah. Texas Intermediate Price and the, the, the price of what's called Western Canada Select, which yeah. is our bitumen. Uh, so we have that structural issue in the economy. And uh, whether you're NDP or UCP or, or some other thing, uh, uh, you know, there's there's only so many levers you can pull, right? right? And it's sort of a post ideological question, right? When when Jason Kenney extends the NDP's you know curtailment, you, mm. you know that that's the case, right? But what the what what the Kenney government did do is they canceled their crude by rail contracts, yeah. and that added two billion to their deficit, so their deficit was higher than ours, uh, and it did sort of extend the life of some of these structural challenges within the oil and gas sector, right? Uh, and then you have some other challenges on top of that with respect to how, uh, you know, pricing of natural gas and so on. Okay. So that's the energy side. And then you have the diversification side. And some of our diversification initiatives uh, were just getting started. Right. Uh, in 1819, we saw $13 of new investment in uh, petrochemical upgrading, sort of East okay, Edmonton yeah. here. Uh uh, continuing some of those projects probably would have helped through the latter half of 19 and into okay. 20. And we haven't seen a whole lot in the way of clarity from this government that is sending the right signals uh, to investors that they're interested in these kinds of value added and upgrading projects. So that's on the oil and gas side. Right. Okay. So... Yeah, so the the new government is continuing some of those petrochemical diversification, but they're not putting as much or sort of expanding it as quickly. Oh, there's so, yeah. so many more opportunities that they right. are not really uh, grappling okay. with in a serious way. So what are some of the other things that are then sort of hindering the economy? So banks are looking at that and they're sort of assessing, okay, here's Alberta is still pretty energy dependent, got some real limitations there. So anticipating less economic growth here as a result. What else is sort of driving this? Well, you know, in a community like mine, when uh, uh, you have uh, uh, job losses, that takes money out of the economy. And right now we are looking at public sector job losses. We just okay. looked, we just saw, you know, 50 agriculture and forestry, uh, uh, mostly agriculture sure. employees uh, that lost their jobs in, in Lethbridge, right. for example. Right in a town of 100,000, when you have that many layoffs, it has a ripple effect on our sure. small business and our aggregate demand. That's just straight right. up. Uh, and so that is an issue uh, for sure that uh, that banks look at, right, right in terms hmm. of, of government investment in the economy. Okay. Uh, when the Bank of Canada uh, did a report uh, kind of last summer, maybe early summer, May or June, uh, they noted that uh, uh, Ontario's economy was growing to a certain extent, but the government austerity was offsetting that private sector growth. 
Interesting. So that that it, it's so real. the cuts they were making were doing enough damage and slowing down the economy, and it sort of took out any momentum that was gained. Yeah, and there was sort of an offhand uh, line in there from the from the Bank of Canada, and that's that is real, right? right? Uh, and uh, so I think that's uh, that is part of it. And then there's the diversification side, right? So not only on the pet cam, uh, the petrochemical mm-hmm. uh, stuff, but also, you know, it, it was. Uh, uh, over a billion dollars of new private sector investment into Southern Alberta around renewables. We opened up the largest renewable energy market opportunity in Canada Mm. and one of the largest on the continent. This wasn't government money. Right. This was private sector investment from both Alberta-owned companies, in the case of Transalta mm-hmm. uh, and uh, uh, Greengate Renewables, uh, and, and some uh, national and international companies right. that made those investments. And so there is some continuing renewable investment in Southern Alberta, given the market conditions, uh, and given the fact that uh, what our policy did was opened up a, a quite a bit of market discovery in terms mm-hmm. of proving everyone wrong uh, uh, and, and showing how, how low cost it is and what, what a good resource we have uh, in Alberta, in particular Southern Alberta. So that is, but, you know, slamming the door to that and kind of saying to the Wind Energy Association, like the trade associations, the solar folks, like, no, we're closed for business now. That had an effect, a big effect. Uh, uh, and then, uh, you know, the, the sort of singular focus on oil and gas to the exclusion of all other things right. has sent signals into the market to renewables companies and their ability to go access capital. Right. Yep. Because these are companies that are going and saying, I want to uh, invest in Alberta. Right. And what are markets and others saying? They, they look like fund managers and others. They look at this and go, well, doesn't the government hate renewables? What's the policy environment? How do I know they're not going to pass a bunch of egregious regulations or do like Doug Ford mm. and and uh, cancel a bunch of contracts? Right. That's a real investment risk right. to that new uh, investment. So they did that. And then, of course, as you've talked about lots around the uh, digital media, yeah. uh, tech, tech innovation. AI, innovation, all of those uh, 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 files have, have had chaos introduced into them. But then I'll add one more, and that's uh, value-added food production. Ah, yes. So in southern Alberta, we have tremendous uh, crop production in pulses, Right, uh, legume crops, plant pro and plant protein, which is sort of the next phase of food production, uh, both in North America and around the world. Uh, places in southern Saskatchewan are pursuing these uh, uh, opportunities. Southern Manitoba, uh, uh, certainly in the United States, and Alberta is just silent on this stuff. Uh, that is a huge missed opportunity. Yeah, you know, and that's interesting because I know right here in my constituency, you wouldn't think in Edmonton City Centre that value-added food production might be a big thing, but it's, it, it, it is. I've got some areas in around the downtown here that are more industrial. And within those areas, folks, a couple folks, a couple different groups have been moving in to create hubs for exactly that. So there's a, there's a company, Honest Dumplings, uh, here in town, and, uh, and uh, another company, South Island Pie. So they've been working together. They've taken over a space in my constituency here to build a food processing center for themselves, but also an incubator to help other companies that are doing that sort of value-added food production, creating products from Alberta from Alberta food sources, you know, and help them scale that up to be able to sell into larger markets. And then I've got another one called the Common, which is a which is a collective group that's sort of getting together to create a space. First of all, for farmers from outside of Edmonton to bring their stuff in, store it here yep. to sell it then yeah, at farmers markets. Other yeah. 
other yeah. things, as well as several commercial kitchens then for folks, again, to be able to scale up their production of locally produced products and value added and that sort of thing. So that's great economic activity for my community. It's adding vibrancy and vitality, and then it's providing those opportunity for Alberta farmers. And it's interesting talking with them. I had the chance to introduce the guys from Honest, Far- Honest Dumplings to uh, some of the folks in uh, agriculture you know, back when, uh, back when we were yeah, in government. Yeah. yeah. And, and they helped them make some connections, you know, for sort of expanding sales and sort of uh, introducing to new markets. Uh, the earth group here in Edmonton, another one, right? So they do uh, sustainable water, coffee, a few other things, you know, they, they got connected through, through, uh, through some of our international trade offices to be able to expand into Japan. But when we met with minister fear, and talked with her at Estimates this past fall, she said, you know what, they're not focused on trying to sell Alberta companies to other markets at the moment. They're interested in trying to bring investment here. Because she said, then we're sending investment outside of Alberta. And I said, excuse me. No, you're selling your excuse stuff. Excuse me. No, we're, we're selling Alberta's product. But no, she doubled down on that and said, no, we're, 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 turning, we're turning all our international offices to bring investment into Alberta, not selling Alberta to the world. I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, that's an aggressively incompetent misread of her job. Uh, But, uh, uh, you know... And that's really unfortunate, right? Uh, uh, so I take two things from that. One, that, that uh, uh, you know, this idea of foreign direct investment is what, uh, and not exporting uh, Alberta talent or Alberta products, you know, that that is a reorientation. I think we need to do both, right, uh, in terms of our economic development strategy. Uh, the other thing I took from that conversation is we need to do more eating when I am here in downtown oh, yes, Edmonton, yes. David. Yes. Uh, so visit that, more restaurants. Visit more restaurants. <laughs> so that uh, is a lesson for us all, I think. Uh, when we are in downtown Edmonton. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. But, uh, you know, it's so, so, so what you've said so far, so basically, so the challenges we still face on the energy front and some of the decisions this government is making about how it's going to promote Alberta energy and sort of move forward on some of those things. And then partly just recognizing there's just some obstacles that are going to be there, whatever government's in power. And we got to just simply find ways to overcome and deal with. And then secondly, that diversification piece and sort of saying, you know, if we're putting all of our focus on that oil and gas area, that recognizing the challenges there, then we are missing out on all these other opportunities. Plus, folks that are sort of assessing our economy are going to kind of go, well, they're doubling down on the area where they've got their biggest obstacles and they're not investing in other areas that could help them out. That doesn't bode well for growth. Well, the other thing that doesn't bode well for growth is understanding the risk that climate change uh, uh, poses sure. to the to to that structural weakness in our right. economy. And this is something that is underappreciated, I think, uh, within uh, you know media and sort of the commentariat circles uh, in Alberta to the extent that uh, that that still exists. Uh, and uh, I just you know, sort of, I think it is well understood in many uh, boardrooms in Calgary, which is why we had uh, a corporate consensus. Uh, in terms of many of the oil sands producers around the climate leadership plan. Uh, But, you know, that risk is real uh, in terms of if you do not have uh, policies that are promoting industrial efficiency, that are ensuring that we are are, are making clean tech uh, uh, available for export and, and building on our strengths there, but also for immediate deployment throughout all of the various industrial sectors of our economy, uh, if oil and gas companies or any other company can't go out onto the to the to the markets and raise capital, because there's all these questions now coming from the big institutional investors who are saying you are not 
climate risked. You don't have policies in place that address the risk of climate change. You haven't baked it into your balance sheet. You haven't baked it into your investments. That is a real risk. And we saw last week what that means. CEO of BlackRock, $7 trillion in assets globally, right? They came out and said, we are going, he took a hard line Mm -hmm. on where new investments are going and, and, uh, you know, what they call ESG uh, uh, requirements, environmental and social governance. This is not, as Jason Kenney called it last, last uh, summer, the flavor of the month. That is a deeply dangerous, bad attitude uh, to be waltzing around with. It is, uh, a tre- uh, it presents tremendous risks to our, to our oil and gas sector, to other sectors, because they, they, the question back will be, well, you don't, you, you know, you got a premier in, in place who doesn't even believe in this stuff. Mm. Uh, uh, how do we know that, that, you know, the policy environment is going to bake in a climate price or a, a carbon price, is going to have appropriate regulatory framework in place, is going to have certainty around offset protocols, all of these other market-based right. mechanisms that we use uh, to, to demonstrate that we are reducing our emissions and that we've understood the risk that climate change poses. So we've got all these challenges that we're facing here. We are looking at an economic downgrade, expected less economic growth. To some extent, there are some aspects here, I think, arguably, that you can say government does not control. Doesn't control the worldwide price of oil. Can't control, you know, how quickly that pipeline gets built. There's a lot of challenges that are in place. What opportunities do we have to improve this? Is there anything that government, in your view, could do right now that would potentially improve that economic forecast? Well, first of all, there are th- uh, there are things that we can point to that our government actually did. For example, we got a pipeline. And, uh, you know, 2,000 people before uh, last fall, before Christmas, were working on that on TMX, right? There were 2,000 new workers that were that are literally putting pipe in the ground as we speak. And, you know, uh, I have often thought of those 2,000 people uh, in the last few months because we fought hard for them to have a better Christmas in 2019 uh, than they would have otherwise, right? I mean, ideally, it would have happened in 2018 before that federal, right. but we had that federal court decision. Again, it wasn't in our hands. It wasn't in the uh, Trudeau's hands or anybody else's hands. Uh, but, uh, you know, that was real and it should have been uh, last fall. But, but I, I think often of those working people who had jobs that wouldn't have had jobs. Why? Because we forced Justin Trudeau to buy that pipeline, right? And you saw in the federal election, he actually paid a political price for that. And, and I don't know if it had been anybody other than Rachel Notley. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if, and in fact, I would place money uh, uh, that if it was anybody else than Rachel right. Notley, it wouldn't have got done. Uh, it was her tenacity and her advocacy. So I think that's the first thing that, yes, government can do some things. Okay. Right? Uh, and then we can put in place diversification initiatives. We can do targeted, you know, tax and other fiscal measures to make things happen. We can put regulatory frameworks in place. We can do other things. As, as I always used to say when I was in the environment portfolio and dealing with the climate change file, government bends the river. It's up to the private sector to fish in it. Okay. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> uh, and so... We did that, right? And and in some of the diversification issues, as I was talking about on the green side, it wasn't just the renewables. There were other clean tech, industrial efficiency, other things we mm-hmm. did. Um, so government has a role to play. But I, I, I think uh, 
you know, like we are in some ways hostages to fortune around global commodity prices, right? Right. Uh, And that is why you must be thoughtful about diversification. Uh, And and there is, it's it's not a nice to have anymore, like it might have been in the Lougheed years, Uh, Mm. you know, uh, and, and, and in my view, it wasn't even a nice to have then. I mean, I was a child of the National Energy Program. Right. My dad lost his job uh, when the NEP came in uh, and some diversification would have been pretty awesome then for my family. Uh, But uh, so, you know, this is something that is really known to Albertans and we know it in our hearts. And and many of us know it around our kitchen tables when we're trying to pay the bills. Um, All that is to say, though, that, you know, you have to sort of grapple with the economic conditions that you have. And so when you are doing that, you respond to, uh, you know, if you have a widening differential or some other problems on the oil and gas side, uh, that is not the time to throw a whole bunch of teachers and nurses or agricultural researchers out of work. Well, indeed. And as you said earlier, public sector workers make significant contributions to the economy. Again, I know I just met last week at the Downtown Business Association and talking with folks there. And uh, we're, you know, remembering back to the Ralph Klein years when we had massive layoffs in the public sector and downtown Edmonton was a ghost town. It gutted it, right? And it has all sorts of effects on local businesses and all the things. That's the thing. You lay off public sector workers when there's already an economic downturn. That's more people that aren't supporting businesses in their community, more people that aren't spending, and more people that aren't out helping move our economy. There are rural municipalities in this uh, province where the school board is the largest employer. Um, from uh, uh, teachers and support staff, school bus drivers, mm. uh, uh, other uh, support workers, maintenance, and so on. Yep. Uh, you know, so like, let's just think this through in terms of what is happening with the education budget in mm. some of these rural municipalities, and then compound on that uh, at the fact that um, this government is not making oil and gas companies pay their right. taxes to rural municipalities. Oh, I know. Yeah. Uh, they've cut uh, a number of their, uh, uh, you know, their funding uh, formulas mm. from, um, you know, the the basic MSI the municipal yep. stabilization. We know that there's a, a dramatic uh, rethink of that mm-hmm. coming in the next budget. Uh, the law enforcement uh, uh, funds, all kinds of things. Rural municipalities are looking at raising taxes. Indeed. And what does this mean? It means that bridges will go unrepaired. It means local contractors won't have that paving contract. Mm. It means that uh, your local maintenance guy may not have uh, uh, the same work to do at the right. arena, which might have to close. And so that's another part, I guess, of driving the economy. So there was the investments we made in infrastructure, which kept uh, a lot of uh, construction companies and builders and developers working through the economic downturn. But not only them. I know I talked to people during the election who worked for supply companies that supplied lumber and all the other stuff. And they said, yep, you know, that kept us afloat for those four years. Yeah, I mean, Lethbridge had 5% growth in, uh, I believe it was uh, 2017 and close to that in 2018. I might be mixing them up, might be the other way around. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a recent Conference Board of Canada uh, report on small cities and Lethbridge's economic right. growth was, I mean, at, at 5%, you're starting to look at at problems like labor shortages and localized inflation mm-hmm. for materials and stuff like that. That That's the level of, of uh, uh, growth we saw uh, and why. Why? Uh, because we had attracted major private sector investment in renewables and agri-food. Right. Uh, we had stable uh, uh, funding for healthcare and education. And we had a major infrastructure project in a large expansion uh, to the university, the largest since it was built. And it was those things uh, that, that drove a, a, a very 
uh, uh, robust uh, economic growth in that small city. That shows you right there what happens when you have private and public sector moving along in tandem. Indeed. And the other piece I would add on, you talked about education school boards being major uh, uh, employers, economic drivers in some rural areas. I'd also add health care. So there's local hospitals, which employ a number of people. And of course, recently with the government's uh, plans to uh, or proposals to cut uh, how they compensate physicians, of course, a lot of those physicians, I'm hearing from them and they're saying, you know, I employ a dozen people in my office, you know, looking after people in the community. And if, you know, if the government's going to take, they're going to drop our income by 30%. Those are people I got to lay off. And those are people that aren't working then and contribute to, the, to their local economy. Uh, uh, no, I I am uh, I despair of what will happen uh, uh, in rural Alberta uh, around healthcare and around services uh, more generally uh, around our library services, you know, regional library networks, all these kinds of things that that are actually the fabric of the community. Mm-hmm. Like I don't represent a rural area, but I am surrounded by them, yes. <laughs> right? Uh, and so I, I know what holds uh, the community together in many ways, and and what sort of mitigates against out migration to the big cities, and uh, uh, those are some of the pillars uh, that do that. So the government's argument in in all of this is that, you know, there is too much public sector spending and that government is getting in the way. So we need to pull the government spending out and government employment out and private industry is going to step in and fill those gaps. So their belief, I think, and I guess I should be, I'm speaking for them here, but my understanding is that they believe that, you know, we pull back on the private, on the public sector, we spend less and private industry is going to step up and cover all that gap. Now, so they have things like their, uh, their $4.7 billion sort of give way to corporations. So, that dropping the rate by 4%. And some of the other things that they say, that's going to attract enough business to make up the difference. Or they're going to contract out some of these other public services and that'll make up the difference. Is that going to be true? You think that's going to that's going to work out? Well, the place to start quibbling with that uh, analysis is in, in the uh, uh, in the first instance. We don't spend uh, more uh, on public services as a proportion of our like our government to spend as a, as a proportion of our GDP is the lowest in Canada. Uh, our debt to GDP ratio is the lowest uh, in the country. Um, we have it just, you know, our balance sheet is uh, uh, among the most enviable in, in North America. And more to the point, if debt was the issue, then why are they running up more debt uh, than, uh, uh, than was forecast with the Notley government um, uh, by 2023? Their debt number is higher forecast. So, uh, you know, uh, all of these, uh, uh, you know, justifications are not based on evidence uh, and, in fact, are belied by um, just things that are written down in black and white in the budget. Uh, I actually did a speech a couple of weeks ago uh, to the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs and put a bunch of slides up that showed exactly that. And, you know, this is generally speaking a room of pretty progressive people, quite pretty well-informed, kind of high-information folks. And even they were like, wow, I did not know that what, what the shape of our balance sheet. I did not know uh, that, you know, Jason Kenney's debt is going to be more than Rachel Notley's by 2023. Uh, uh, these kinds of, of things, um, you know, the government, to their credit, has has uh, done a good job of, of building a case uh, uh, for, you know, the sort of wholesale privatization of education or head, healthcare in particular, uh, but uh, uh, cuts in education and elsewhere, and, you know, basing that case on what amounts to a tissue of lies. Indeed. And so, and again, the argument that we're hearing from government is right now is, is it's going to hurt right now, 
but we promise this is this is going things are going to get better indeed Jason Kenny uh, just in his sort of beginning of the year interviews was sort of saying he really thinks this is going to be the year things turn around for Alberta and that you know under that the UCP policies are going to drive private sector growth that is going to replace and cover some of the pain that we're feeling from the public sector well okay but the private sector the big banks in Canada disagree with him fair enough <laughs> Do you see anything, uh, do you see any hope on the horizon for Albertans this year? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, I, I think it's important um, to uh, recognize where we have strengths and we have, you know, like it, it, things are not great uh, uh, if you are looking for health care or if you uh, are a senior on a fixed income uh, or if, you know, you have a kid in a classroom with 35 kids in it. It's really quite bleak. And I know as a parent, I look at the education uh, landscape and I am worried for my own kids, for their teachers, for the support staff in the school. Uh, I, I am very, very concerned about my own children's uh, educational outcomes as a result of cuts. There's no question about that. And I think many parents uh, are, are, are starting to see uh, uh, who are, you know, maybe less up close to the public policy decisions than I am are starting to see that there's real cause for worry there. Uh, but, you know, I'll, I'll point you to a community like Medicine Hat, where you've had a, a, a massive downturn in the price of natural gas, right? And they own their own gas utilities. So this has been really bad uh, for the city of Medicine Hat. And yet their unemployment rate is quite low. Um, and we see that because uh, in, in large part, because a lot of those uh, uh, billions of dollars in new renewables investments that I was talking about earlier, a lot of them are going into Southeast Alberta. Uh, and at, at least in this short term, um, that's hundreds of millions of dollars of private sector investment that is going in to that area that wouldn't have otherwise been there. Um, and that's that's meaning good things for that economy uh, and for the people uh, in that in that corner of of, uh, of Alberta that, you know, otherwise that corner of Alberta is being just utterly ignored uh, by this government. But I think that's a bright spot. And I think we should say, you know, high five medicine hat. Keep going. Like, I hope that their regional economic development folks and their small municipalities and their trade associations find a way to, you know, parlay that into more uh, renewable investment on a market basis and so on. No, that's a, that's a good point. And indeed, uh, you see that here in the city of Edmonton, you know, we talk about tech and innovation and how they sort of really benefited from and appreciated uh, some of the tax credits that were in place. Certainly the gaming industry was blossoming and, you know, potentially about the boom with some of the credits in place. Now that those have been removed, the hopeful bit is that we're, I'm not seeing folks sort of just throwing up their hands and walk away. So the city of Edmonton has really stepped up on that front and say, you know, we are really going to invest and focus on promoting our tech and innovation sector. Uh, I'm seeing the sector themselves sort of really coming together and collaborating a lot more. Now, that's not, I think, to give the government an excuse where, you know, at some points they've sort of said, well, look, they're doing just fine without any government support. I think the fact is growth is going to be a lot slower and a lot more difficult than it could have been. We're going to miss out on benefits and we could potentially miss out on some investment in companies that are going to go to other jurisdictions. But it is hopeful to see that people having had a taste of what's possible are going to keep trying to fight for more. The other thing that I see that's hopeful is a lot of business leaders, uh, you know, people with the, with, the, with the corner office are saying, whoa, 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 you know, on this Wexit talk, this mm. nonsense, you know, like we saw Jason Kenney the day after the federal election announced these fair deal town halls, uh, which were a political fig leaf for indulging the Wexit hashtag, right? Um, and, and, and a lot of business leaders are saying, whoa, you know, no, 
we can't have that. They're pushing back, right? They're saying, no, we need a more progressive approach. And I think that's helpful to be, uh, I am seeing a lot of folks starting to speak reason to this otherwise rather unreasonable uh, ideological government. Uh, and I think that is helpful and is probably constraining some of their worst excesses. Uh, and, and, and I find that helpful and I want to encourage uh, people to do it more um, because it's going to take all of us to be able to, you, you know, like steer them Absolutely. away from, from some of these more uh, uh, just, you know, wildly fantastical uh, uh, right wing um you know, kind of experiments. Absolutely. And certainly that's what I'm hearing from a lot of folks too, is that, you know, even folks that voted for this government and some of these policies are, are really concerned about the, the sharp right word turn they've taken on some of those things. And indeed just how far they've gone with some of these cuts. And they're just sort of saying, you know what, this isn't what I voted for. This is too much. Yeah. And I think uh, the government ain't seen nothing yet. Because I think uh, they've set themselves up for a budget 2020 that is going to have to be, by necessity, even tougher than the one they introduced mm. in the fall. And I don't think that they understand the extent. And I don't think Jason Kenney specifically, as a person, understands the affection that Albertans have for their public health care system. Uh, uh, the uh, uh, the affection they have for their relationship with their uh, uh, with their with their doctor with their primary care, uh, uh, and uh, the the esteem they hold uh, their public servants, whether it's nurses uh, or teachers or wastewater treatment operators, uh, I, I, the the esteem that Albertans hold those people. And, uh, and and I don't know if they have, you know, he sort of said in his end of year interviews, I don't know if you saw this. Oh, yeah, I baked that in that our government would take some hits. I, I, you know, as if everything is a calculation, right? And everything is like Mr. Tactician. And there's, you know, it's just so <laughs> bl blithe disregard for the human beings, right? And it's quite grating to me. Uh, but but I, I, I don't think, I think his 19 years in federal politics mean that he's somewhat disassociated from like that, like how close we are to our provincial governments and how close they are to people's well-being. Um, and I think that's going to become obvious in spring. I I would agree. So we got that budget coming up uh, likely at the end of February after we return to the legislature. So we'll have to make sure we uh, we get you back in to talk about that when it does. So thanks for, thanks for coming by again, Shannon. Thank you. All right. So great conversation there with Shannon. I always appreciate her uh, point of view and her sense of humor. So next up, Irfan Sabir. So this is the first time having Irfan on this podcast. Irfan, of course, uh, during our time in government, was our Minister for Human Services, then Community and Social Services. So certainly has some deep perspectives on that. But when we came back in as opposition, Irfan took an interesting pivot, and he moved over to become our critic on energy. Now, interestingly, Irfan does have some experience in this area. Uh, after he came to Canada and earned first social work degree. He then earned a degree in law and actually worked for a law firm in Calgary on indigenous issues and some of those around natural resources. So he's got some experience and some knowledge there. So here's my conversation with Irfan about the realities for Alberta's energy industry. Okay, well, I have with me today our Irfan Sabir, who's the MLA for Calgary McCall and the official opposition critic for uh, energy. How are you doing, Irfan? Good. Thank you, David, for having me. Absolutely. No, it's a pleasure. So how have things been uh, going over the last little while on the energy front for Alberta? I think when we uh, talk about energy, 
we are talking about Alberta's economy because we know that we do rely uh, fairly heavily uh, on our energy sector. And in the last little while, what we have seen that our industry is facing issues with respect to the takeaway capacity, with respect to the new markets. And while when we were in government, we made uh, progress on both fronts by singularly focusing on making sure that we can get our products to the tidal waters, Canadian tidal waters, and at the same time addressing the takeaway capacity uh, with initiatives like rail car, uh, buying rail cars, buying and leasing rail cars so that we can uh, address the takeaway capacity issue uh, in the in the meanwhile while we wait for DMX. Right. So, yeah, one of the things you identify there right away then is so one of the major issues for the energy industry has been how do we move more product to a market where we can get a better price? Exactly. So uh, historically looking at that in the province of Alberta, is this is this something that we've known about for a while or is this something that just sort of came up in recent years? I think we have known about it uh, for a while. And. Actually, these projects like DMX, Keystone Excel, uh, or Energy East, uh, they were uh, in working from, I guess, last decade or so. But what we did, that we uh, focused on issues that were uh, creating uh, barriers in approval of these projects. We worked on environment, we worked on indigenous issues, and we got this pipeline approved. But now what we are seeing from this government, uh, that they they are doing exactly opposite of what's needed. They are completely silent on environment. Uh, they are not taking into account indigenous issues that were precisely mm. the reasons that we didn't get uh, these projects approved in the first place when conservatives were in government in Alberta and in federal government. So they also canceled the rail cars that would have added 120,000 barrel per day capacity while we wait for DMX to get in operation. So for that reason, we are seeing job loss in our energy sector. Uh, we are seeing no new investments. And as a result, uh, under this government watch, we have seen almost 50,000 uh, full-time job losses since they took over. Right, yeah. So definitely it's continued to be challenging for the industry. I just wanted to pick up on what you were talking about there, sort of what the record was when we had conservative governments here in Alberta and a conservative government in Ottawa. Uh, I remember watching some of that process early on with uh, Northern Gateway and after that TMX. And I remember uh, Joe Oliver, who was uh, then a, a federal government minister alongside Jason Kenney, uh, he penned a pretty toxic letter, basically um, making real enemies of anybody in the environmental movement. And I remember, uh, you know, to my recollection, that really emboldened a lot of environmental protest thing back then and maybe made things even more difficult for them to move forward on that. And like you said, yeah, some of the issues around the indigenous piece, which I, I know you have some particular knowledge of, because I understand you and you worked in law. That was one of the areas you worked in was uh, in on indigenous issues regarding national resource law. So in a lot of ways, conservatives really made sure from the start that process was going to be really difficult. Yes, as you indicated that um, 
have worked previously uh, with a law firm focusing on uh, indigenous issues, indigenous law. And even at that time, we were following these developments very closely. And when the courts uh, uh, rejected their approvals, uh, that was precisely for the reason that they have not paid any attention to environment and they have walked roughshod uh, on indigenous rights. And these were the two key things that when we were in government, we focused on and we got the approval. And if we are seeing uh, DMX move forward today, that's precisely because of the leadership then Premier Rachel Notley showed on this file. Yeah, absolutely. We were able to gain some ground there, but we did kind of get hit then after that initial uh, approval. Uh, there was the Supreme Court decision uh, regarding uh, Indigenous cons- consultation, I guess, again in BC. that's I guess that's one of the challenges here is that we are still developing our full understanding of, I guess, of what it means to, I guess, be introducing real reconciliation, particularly when it comes to natu- natural resource development. So it's still sort of something that's evolving in the courts. Uh, Certainly, and the landscape in Alberta is different than BC. In Alberta, we have treaties, while in BC, we don't have treaties, so uh, legal landscape there is a little bit uh, different. But for the long-term sustainability of these projects, for long-term certainty of these projects, uh, it's critical that we work with our Indigenous communities, Indigenous partners, to make sure that we get this right. Absolutely. And I guess that's that's part of it, too, is I think what I what I've seen anyway from, you know, before, you know, before the election last year and and certainly since is that the UCP has taken a pretty aggressive tone on wanting to get the pipeline built, even though I think so many of the challenges that have been slowing it down are really outside of the hands of direct government action and really requires, I think, a lot more thoughtful collaboration, like you're saying, with indigenous uh, with indigenous nations and other people that are involved in the process, but their approach has been to be very aggressive and very loud, and I guess that's why we now have this $30 million a year, $82,000 a day uh, war room, the Canadian Energy Centre. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think let me uh, begin by saying that whatever progress we are seeing on TMX, it has nothing to do with UCD. And whatever UCP has done so far, that has not helped our energy sector. For instance, they canceled uh, oil by rail project. Mm -hmm. That would have created jobs that would have shipped 120,000 barrels of oil from Alberta while we wait TMX. And now they created this war room, which has not helped us create any jobs or helped us with economy. They put a UCP failed candidate, Tom Molson, there, who is spending $82,000 per day, $120 million budget over four years. And so far, they haven't created anything but ridicule in a new platform for our industry's opponents. And if we look at, they started December 11. They came up with post logo that was a direct copy of a U.S. software firm. And then they found out and then they were embarrassed and then they have to remove that. 
they could have simply done a reverse image Google search and could have found out. <laughs> and they came up with a second logo that was also a modification of US uh, software and tech company who are considering uh, suing them. They were intimidating journalists. They were impersonating journalists. Canadian Union of Journalists also condemned them. They put something on YouTube about our industry. They have three units, rapid response, energy literacy, and data and research. And that was downvoted so much that they have to uh, close down that platform altogether. And the account that has been created to parody uh, Energy War Room has more followers than their actual Twitter account. Mm. And in their disclaimer, they are saying that they have no obligation to update the information. And they are saying that they are not responsible for accuracy, completeness, or usefulness of this information. That negates the very purpose of this war room that they were telling Albertan that this war room exists to provide a rapid response, to provide an energy literacy in data and research. So it would be a laughing matter unless they were not spending $82,000 per day on it. It's a complete waste of money and it needs to stop and UCP should consider not funding uh, this $30 million going forward. Instead, there are many other things, many other worthy projects that they are cutting left, right and center. They should fund those projects. Indeed. And unfortunately, from what we've seen, uh, even with that uh, rather large tax break, which, of course, uh, the major uh, energy companies uh, do get to take a fair amount home from, uh, we're not seeing any further investment from those companies. Um, so what does that look like on the landscape? I mean, the, the UCP, they ran on a platform of jobs pipeline economy. And like we've been talking about, the pipeline is progressing, but uh, the government isn't necessarily being particularly helpful in that. But it is going forward. But we are seeing still a lot of challenges in terms of economy and indeed jobs, and particularly in the energy industry. Uh, what are your thoughts on that for the folks that are, that are actually out there just looking for work in the field? What are the prospects looking like right now? As you mentioned that they're in on jobs, economy, and pipeline. So if we talk about jobs, so far under their watch, we have lost 50,000 full-time jobs and also from resource sector. Hmm. When we talk about economy, uh, I was listening earlier today my, to my colleague, uh, critic for finance, Shannon Phillips, and she outlined that Scotia Bank, and in fact, all six major banks have downgraded the growth production, uh, growth uh, predictions. This government is hoping for 3% growth. All of them are now down to 1.6 or even lower. What we are seeing here that they are following policies like trickle-down economics. Simply put, that policy means that you give breaks, tax breaks, tax incentive to the richest, to the corporations, and you hope that they will use those tax breaks, money get, they get from those tax breaks, into creating jobs by investment. But what we have seen here, that those who got money from these breaks for instance, Husky, they got $233 million. They laid off 371 Albertans uh, right here in Calgary, and they are investing in U.S., Wisconsin, and Saskatchewan, and Canada. They yeah. got almost $55 million. They are moving all together to the United States. 
And again, I'm not blaming these companies because what these companies need to do investment is that they need some assurance that there will be some takeaway capacity if they drill, if they produce, they will be able to take it away from Alberta, they will be able to sell in some new markets. If you don't provide them with takeaway capacity, if you don't provide them a new market, they won't be investing here. That's uh, the ground reality. And that's why we are, when we look at uh, the drilling activity, in 2018 at this time, in 2018 in December, uh, there were 129 active uh, rigs. And same time in 2019, December, we have 93 rigs. That's almost a 32% decrease in rig drilling activity. Indeed. So their policies uh, are not helping our economy and the policies they are following, uh, they go against common sense. They, these policies have failed elsewhere. Even if we, uh, if we look at the econo economists, for instance, the Nobel laureate uh, Abhijit Banerjee, 2019 uh, Nobel laureate for economics, he's saying that uh, by lowering taxes, you won't attract investment or create mm. jobs. 2018, Nobel laureates Paul Romer and William Nordes, they are saying innovation, uh, integrating innovation and climate action is the way forward. What this government is doing is exactly the opposite. They, have, uh, they are cutting from Alberta Innovates, they are cutting all kinds of tax credits that were there to diversify uh, economy, drive innovation. So they are doing, uh, I guess, exactly opposite of what, what common sense dictates, what every economist is saying, and what essentially Albertans are looking for uh, as so, diversification. So Irfan, you're the MLA for uh, Calgary McCall. Now, you yourself, you came to Calgary in 2004. You came over, you had your master's in economics, and then you sort of worked your way up, got your, uh, got your master's in social work, and then went on and got a law degree. Uh, what was Calgary like when you first came in? What was your experience of it like? Uh, I think uh, over the years, I've seen many things change uh, in Calgary. And in particular, when you uh, come to a new place, start all over again, first couple of years, quite frankly, you don't know what's <laughs> going on. You're just uh, learning essentially everything from using a bank card, getting a bus sure. ticket, from, from those basic yeah. things. And, and I come from a, a very rural kind of okay. background, so everything was fairly new. And at the same time, you're trying to get by, pay your bills, pay your rent utilities, all those things. And at the same time, navigate uh, what you can do with your education or what you can do um, here to rise, essentially. So first two, three years was fairly difficult time. For the most part, I was working uh, minimum wage jobs and at the same time trying to figure out what my education is worth. Right trying to get the assessment done, trying to figure out how to uh, get back to university. And those were difficult times, but at the same time, I'm uh, very thankful that I had a network of community, a network of organizations here uh, who were always very supportive from Calgary Catholic Immigration Society to Center for Newcomers, community-based organizations. Mm -hmm. They were always very helpful. And in 2007, uh, I was able to get back into social work. 
And from there, I think things changed and that education uh, certainly made a difference. And while I was in university, also I should mention that I benefited from the grants that were available from the government, benefited from the student loans that were available uh, from the government, in which quite frankly, this government is changing those structures. Uh, They have hiked the fees, they have changed the interest rate on those student loans, they are cutting down those grants. Uh, That will certainly affect uh, opportunities for Albertans, all Albertans, and in particular, uh, those who are starting all over uh, in a new country. So I think I'm very disappointed how those things have been changed. Indeed. And it's it's particularly challenging, I guess, in a city like Calgary, where they're kind of getting hit on both ends. So there's ongoing challenges for the energy industry and some of the ways in which this government's not being particularly helpful on that. And then at the same time, they're making these cuts on the on the most vulnerable and sort of making it more difficult for people there. Uh, Irfan, why don't you tell me a bit about your community that you represent there at Calgary McCall? So it's uh, like yourself. You've got a lot of folks who live in that area who have uh, who have immigrated to Canada and sort of built new lives here. Tell me a bit about about uh, the folks you represent? I think I represent uh, one of the most beautiful and diverse riding in this province, uh, where people come from many different backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, religious background, talent background, and it's interesting to learn about the diversity of our province, through, I guess, through this riding, that how different people bring with them different cultural traditions, different talents, and how we can make use uh, of that diversity and strengthen our uh, economic, cultural, social fabric. So uh, it's an interesting experience, and uh, I, I would say that each and every day, uh, one of the many uh, joys of being MLA for Calgary McCall is that I get to learn about new cultures. I get to learn about new perspectives. I get to learn about new communities. It's been five years, and I'm still learning. That's excellent. Anything uh, exciting coming up? Any events in your community in the next little while? Oh, in my community, there are always, <laughs> always events. <laughs> Every, every weekend, there are three, four events, different community organizations. For instance, last week, uh, there was a Lodi celebration. Okay. That's, a, uh, that's a festival from India, um, um, Punjab region. I think many other uh, communities also celebrate that. But it's celebrating the birth of newborn. Uh-huh. And historically, uh, only... It was celebrated for boys. But what they did here, the community, which I'm really proud of, they included the girls in it too. So when they celebrated here, they celebrated both for boys and girls. So that was very interesting development that how even culture, those traditions evolve uh, when, uh, when you come here and see things around you that, okay, gender discrimination is something of past. It belongs somewhere in the books of history, not in our modern society. So things evolve too. So there are many other uh, communities who celebrate like their national days, yes. uh, their religious 
uh, festivals, their um, culture festivals. So there is always something that's going on. That's excellent. Well, thanks, sir. I really appreciate you taking the time to join me today. Uh, thank you. Thank you, David, uh, for having me. And thank you for the work you do. And thank you for starting these important conversations. All right. Well, there you go, folks. Thanks so much for tuning into episode 15 of The Herd. We're going to have some great stuff coming over the next few weeks. We're going to be leading into the next legislative session, which starts at the end of February. We're anticipating there's going to be a government budget shortly after the session starts. So there's going to be lots of great content to dig into, hoping to bring in a few more of our colleagues from our caucus that I haven't had the chance to bring on air yet. This week, I want to take us out with some great music from Calgary. Now, what some of you may not know is I'm a bit of a hip-hop fan. I, I, I really enjoy organic, jazzy kind of rap and hip-hop music. I'm not really, admittedly, a trap guy in some of the, new, some of the newer styles. But, hey, I've been enjoying stuff like Hip Hop Evolution on Netflix and some, uh, with uh, Canadian rapper Shad. He's been hosting that on the history of hip-hop, something I've been following for a while. So I was really excited to discover this great band out of Calgary. Yes, Alberta produces some pretty quality hip-hop. This is a group called the Jazz Lib Collective. Now, Jazz Lib Collective was founded by, uh, by uh, three folks, uh, Cam the Human, Nameless the Dark Knight, and the Crippled Chemist. And now they're also joined by uh, several other members of the Calgary hip-hop community. They create some really unique kind of stuff. Uh, hip-hop music with definitely got that jazzy flavor that I really like, what's known as boom bap. So here they are from their 2018 EP, the Easy Peasy EP. This is Jazz Lib, hip-hop out of Calgary with their track Communication Counselor. Feeder, attracting fish like a heat seeker. Even know what peace is. Plates pulling all the weight. Ripping holes in center while I pack a bowl and masturbate. Fill a cup, I fill a saddle. Call me horse, I play with cattle. Short and sweet, tongue in cheek, rip rattle. Roar if you have to. Talk a truck riddles for days past due. Incredible edible, fat a bowl to my mouth half full with a touch of grease splashed in. Dizzy Dazzle D speaks to me.
understanding. If you can 